Blog Talk Radio. He's a man who's going to tell you like it is. You can never be afraid of something that you don't know about. Now that's ignorance, and for us, ignorance is not bliss. He's a man who's not afraid to talk about the real issues and not skate around it. Don't you think it's about time that you got tired of where you are? I mean, you have got to be ready for God to do something for you and let him move. He's a man who loves his God, his country, and his people. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm not too fond of the political state of the world, and particularly the U.S. as it is right now. But if you want change, you have to make it happen. You can't keep settling for less than what you ought to have. He's a man who's sowing seeds of life, love, and liberation to anybody who's willing to hear. There comes a point in time where everybody just needs to shut their mouth up and listen to God. And God is the one who will lead us and God is in all truth. He'll tell us everything we need. That covers every area, every facet from politics to church to you name it. God's got it covered. He's a man that seeks the heart of God for the people of God. You're listening to Zero Today with Pastor Lorenzo Neal. What's something that's slow that you wish was fast? Turtle. Really? A turtle? Yeah. And what about you? I would rather be a slow turtle. Well, mmm. I know why. Because when you're slower, you won't have to get in the street as fast and get ran over. But if you're a slow turtle and you're in the middle of the street, what happens? Austin? Exactly. It's not complicated. Faster is better. And AT&T is the nation's fastest 4G LTE network. When we made our commitment to the Gulf, BP had two big goals. Help the Gulf recover and learn from what happened so we could be a better, safer energy company. I've been with BP for 24 years. As part of the team that helped deliver on our commitments to the Gulf, and I can tell you, safety is at the heart of everything we do. We've added cutting-edge safety equipment and technology, like a new deep water well cap and a state-of-the-art monitoring center where experts watch over all our drilling activity 24-7. And we're sharing what we've learned so we can all produce energy more safely. Safety is a vital part of BP's commitment to America and to the nearly 250,000 people who work with us here. We invest more in the U.S. than anywhere else in the world. Over $55 billion here in the last five years, making BP America's largest energy investor. Our commitment has never been stronger. All right, 
Welcome back. And I think we're getting on track now. Got these uh, technical difficulties fixed. And we're ready to get this thing going. So uh, without further ado, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Now that we get back on our track and um, go forward. Uh, Father, we thank you for the day. We thank you for your grace and your mercy. We praise you, O oh God, for another opportunity to do this broadcast. Let the words of our mouth, the meditation of our heart be acceptable in your sight. We pray amen and amen again. All right, so now that we got that taken care of, we are we got a lot uh to talk about today. Uh, we're going to discuss at the bottom of the hour, we're going to be talking about assisted suicide, what uh how should the church approach it well uh most of most churches uh faiths and religions have similar views on assisted death uh assisted suicide and euthanasia we're going to talk about that and uh a couple other things we're going to be talking about of course the midterms election we're going to talk about that um because that's really critical and uh, but I want to start off the top of the hour with some headline news. As always, we try to we try to get the the news on. I'm saddened right now because um, heard of the death of another pastor um, in Memphis. Um, if you have not heard, it's a really really sad story coming out of Memphis, where Pastor Don Smith, who was the pastor of uh, Prospect Park Missionary Baptist Church in Memphis, uh, they found him. He found his body uh, on Monday, I believe, uh, earlier this week, and uh, it was apparent that he was he was he died from uh, a gunshot wound. Um, I, I don't know specific details. Uh, they have not released a lot of information regarding this, um, but it's really a, a tragic, tragic, tragic thing when you hear more about the deaths of pastors. And I, I had. Uh, I was acquainted with him. I, I had heard about his ministry, and many people knew about. Um, a lot of people in the South Memphis area knew about uh, Pastor Smith and the heart that he had. Um, and if you can go, if you go on to, if you just Google Pastor gets shot in Memphis or something, then they should probably find it. Uh, but he was one of the few pastors in Memphis who um, cared not about. Uh, the high class quality of pastoral life, you know, lived simple, did things that were uh, beneficial to his congregation, and from what I know, he liked to cook. And so, we're mourning the loss of Pastor Smith and the loss for his family and for the church family, and that we're hoping and praying that those who committed such grievous crime against the body of Christ and against the family of Pastor Smith would be will come to justice. And we uh, I hope there is nothing else, you know, uh, you know, no circumstance with death and murder in any circumstances is, is not good. But um this is very tragic and um we we just pray that there's a swift call to justice or some guilt or remorse or something that would drive those who perpetrated this crime to to um come to justice. But it is what it is. Pray for uh Pastor Smith's family and the Prospect uh Park Baptist Church family as they deal with this very, very, very hard time. Uh and on that same note, last week we talked about domestic violence. We talked about 
how it's impacting the church right now. And there's several articles that I came across, several stories that I came across during that time. And one just kind of blew my mind. Uh, there was a pastor, you know, uh, in the north. And um, let me try to bring that up real quick. Uh, a pastor in the north, and he was accused of um, he was accused of beating his wife. Let me bring it up real quick. I just turned it out. I I was just reading the pay, just reading this article, and um. The article kind of it 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 really just touched the nerve on me. Any time a pastor involved is involved in anything that is um, that that to me is is disrespectful, uh, invokes anything that um, invokes anything that is irreflective of the the nature of Christ and the image of Christ, it is very damaging. However, we have uh, a pastor who not only beat his wife, but said that if God told him to kill his wife, he would do it. And and he was arrested. And I'm, I'm having a problem bringing up the article. But he was arrested and he's been charged with uh, aggravated battery or something of that nature. Uh, hold on. All right, I'm, I'm pulling it up now. It's, it's coming up. And, and the, what what what's scary about this is that he invoked God in it and said that if God told him to be um, to kill his wife, uh, Pastor Bruce Harvey is the name of the pastor. Um, he is from Ewing. Uh, doesn't say what. Uh. What state? But Ewing is the is is the town uh, in Mercer County, in wherever Mercer County is. Anyway, uh, he's the pastor of an Apostolic Life Church in Ewing, and he slammed his wife. He slammed his wife into a uh, slammed his wife's door. Slammed the door on his wife's leg. Uh, he spit on his face and was pushed on the ground. And after an argument, then he blurted out that if God told him to kill her. Uh, he would do it. That's very, very sad, and uh, it, it's irresponsible for the pastor. And you know, I I said this before, and I said it again. You should never do anything out of anger. You should always do your best to. And of course, scriptures admonish us to act with self-control. It's actually one of the fruit of the spirit: self-control, temperance, and things of that nature. And when we don't do that, that's a sign that that we may not be spiritually filled. Uh, that's a sign that the Spirit of God is not. Uh, we have not managed our affairs, uh, temporal affairs, our, our flesh. And it goes back to a second story that I was going to bring up uh, that we talked about also last week, particularly uh, the story about gospel artist uh, James Fortune, of course, who was arrested for assaulting his wife. Now, what has come to light is uh, his lawyer, or an attorney for representing him and his wife had come forward saying, with a statement saying that uh, not only did he not assault her, but uh, that she is standing beside her husband. And and, and what what but 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 here's the problem, you know he he went on record apologizing to his fans for being arrested uh, without 
going any further into discussing what happened. You know, he went on record saying that, yes, he was arrested, and yes, it was for this particular uh, charge, and now his wife is standing by her man, the lawyer, the attorney for the family is presenting, uh, you know, false accusations by a third party. So it, it just is it's just getting out of hand. And to top all this out, he is having he is still going on with his birthday celebration that has some of the top names in the gospel and black gospel music that will be celebrating his his life. Uh, as far as I know, none have withdrawn from the celebration is still going forth in a couple of weeks, I believe. Um, and it, it begs to offer why do we, why are we not calling people into accountability? Uh, why, you know, it's the same thing that happened with, with, um, Eddie Long and many, many, many others. We could, the list could go on and on. Uh, once we catch them, once they are caught in sin or caught in something, or accused of something, or brought char- charges brought against them. Uh, instead of calling for accountability from them, we go and defend them. And and there's nothing. I mean, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not saying there's something. Nothing. Anything wrong with that. Problem is, if we are going to defend them, we must still call them to have accountability. Plain and simple. We need to be able to say that if you did this action, you need to present some type of remorse to the church. You need to present some type of repentance. You don't need to be hiding behind a lawyer or a statement or anything of that nature. You know, if you're going to be bold enough to, let me, let me, I'm getting on the rant. But either way, um, it's it's very sad. We have a hard enough job as Christians defending our faith. Um, and we don't need anything else to hinder those who may consider them who are either complete non-believers uh, or those who are um, in the church and, and questioning whether they should be a part of the church. We don't need to heap any more flaming coals, hot coals upon them. Um, and I realize there are those who are just, uh, just ridiculously out to uh who are disingenuous regarding the faith who who are only out to out there to bring shame to preachers they are those who exist i was reading something about uh someone else another preacher and they lumped him in with uh uh someone who was embedded in 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 sexual immorality and they just threw his name in there i mean just threw it out there it didn't even fit didn't even wasn't even part of the the article, but they just had to throw his name in there, and I don't know. I pray that it doesn't happen to me. I pray that if if I ever get caught in situations or if I ever get caught up in anything, that I have the strength to to uh, just accept the the you know the things that come with it, bring myself to repentance with sackcloth and ashes, like they did in the Old Testament. <laughs> You know, this uh, think about Hezekiah, think about uh, David, think about all these persons who were brought to accountability by prophets. And instead, of, there are a few who resisted, but a bulk of them, a lot of them didn't resist. They gave in to the word and the prophet and whatnot. And 
and they turn themselves around. And that's what I think we should be looking for. I, I think that's the critical thing when it comes to things like this. But anyway, I didn't. I didn't intend to rant that long. I was trying to find something funny, and I'm, I was having a hard time finding something funny. I was finding all these serious news stories <laughs> in a Christendom. But, uh, hey, it is what it is. We're going to take a break. I'm going to take a break, and after the break, the first segment, you know, we're going to be talking about these midterms elections, what it really means for the black church, and why uh, it is critical, why it is critical that we blacks take a serious look at uh, what we do when it comes to elections. So we're going to take this break, and when we come back from the break, we will get to that. So be right back. Jackson State University is not just another university. It's a community. It's a family. And that's not all. Jackson State University is a national leader in biomedical research and development. With world-class science, math, engineering, and technology departments. At Jackson State University, we're leading the way in technology and innovation. One Jackson State University, changing lives one student at a time. Those of you who've listened to my show uh, realized that uh, about a year ago, a little over a year ago, my computer crashed on me, and I had lost just—I thought I lost just about everything on my computer, all my important files and documents. But then I remembered that I had security. I had my files backed up automatically by Carbonite.com. Now, here's the good thing about Carbonite.com—they have the same encrypted technology that is used uh, for security, uh, e-commerce transactions, all that stuff. They got it right, and then they house it in state-of-art data centers that. Guarded 24 hours a day, seven days a week. I wasn't worried because I knew my files were automatically backed up. And here's the good thing: I, I didn't have to worry about retrieving them either because I could access my files from any computer anywhere in the world. So if, if, if you you feel like you're gonna lose your stuff, I recommend Carbonite.com because that's the place to go. You don't have to worry about the cost either because they have a price for every budget you can imagine. Not only that, but if you go to their site today, you could get a 15-day free trial right now. If you go in today, that's Carbonite.com for all your online backing needs. All they do is back up your files online. They don't do anything else. You can be guaranteed that all of your important documents, everything that you love on your computer will be safe and secure. Check them out today at Carbonite.com for your online backup. You know why cuties are so easy to peel? So kids can peel them. What's something that's slow that you wish was fast? Turtle. Really? A turtle? Yeah. And what about you? I would rather be a slow turtle. Well, mmm. I know why. Because when you're slower, you won't have to get in the street as fast and get ran over. But if you're a slow turtle and you're in the middle of the street, what happens? Austin? Exactly. It's not complicated. Faster is better. And AT&T is the nation's fastest 4G LTE network. Bishop Julius McAllister Sr. and Mother Joan McAllister invite you to attend post-conference Holy Convocation and planning meeting for the 8th Episcopal District of the African Methodist Episcopal Church on November 20th through the 22nd, 
2014 at the Barnard Campbell Religious Institute Campus in Edwards, Mississippi. Come hear a powerful word from guest speaker Dr. Jeremiah Wright Sr., anointed singing from the post-convocation choir, and much, much more. Come ready to be blessed. You don't want to miss this. It's the post-conference convocation and planning meeting. Be there and be blessed. energy all of a sudden i did don't ask me how just know i did (laughs) so we're at the top of the hour and we are we have survived midterm elections 2014 there are a lot of people who are upset there are a lot of people who are celebrating and if you look at the american map now the the map of the united states when it comes to gubernatorial seats congressional seats, you'll see more red than blue. That means Republicans have taken over the majority of Congress, uh, both both houses. Uh, the Senate and the House of Representatives are now in Republican control. Now, this will prove interesting for both parties because now they have to fulfill two things, two mandates. One, the Republicans have to prove that they are a party of integrity, they are a party of fiscal responsibility, and that they are a party of, uh, you know, more than the rhetoric that they spewed to get a majority vote. So they took advantage of the dismal ratings, dismal unpopularity of President Obama. I mean, they, they rode that crest. They rolled that wave as it crested. It got them into the majority. And they are now poised to prove that they were more than just showboating and that they are serious about placing this country in a, in a direction that is positive and empowering for all of its citizens. Now, can they do it? Will they do it? This is going to be the interesting challenge for the Democrats the Democrats, they got a serious, serious wake-up call yesterday. A very serious wake-up call because they heard how how much people are disappointed, not so much as with the policies, but with the rhetoric and with the appreciation. In fact, they got seriously shaded by black voters because the black voters have a have risen, they have awakened, they have awakened out of their slumber, and they have come to realize that the Democratic Party has been using them. <laughs> now, now, what does it mean for the black church and, and the black voting bloc? We're going to talk about that a little bit. Um, but what is certainly clear 
is that blacks felt more undervalued and underappreciated, underappreciated in this election cycle than in any other time in our voting history. And that's a lot to be said. Matter of fact, I was reading in one article. I was reading one article the other day, not the other this morning, as a matter of fact, and it was really interesting because it said this for nearly, for nearly, uh, for several decades after we were emancipated, particularly post Reconstruction, during Reconstruction and post Reconstruction, blacks had a solid Republican voting block. That went on for for nearly uh, for 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 decades. Uh, for decades, blacks voted Republican in the South and in the North. And then, post Reconstruction, the Republicans sold blacks out in the South to Jim Crow Democrats. The Jim Crow Democrats were staunch segregationists, and they repealed. A lot of the voting rights and a lot of the privileges that blacks had garnered during Reconstruction, post-emancipation and during Reconstruction, and in Jim Crow South in particular for nearly uh, half a century, for at least half a century, uh, they were disenfranchised in the South. And then the wonderful Democrats took advantage of that under the leadership of Lyndon B. Johnson and the passing of the Voter Rights Act and the Voter Rights Law 64, 65, things of that nature. Uh, the Democrats got a whole new voting block that has gone on for the last half century where the Democrats could rely on the black vote. And then now, in 2014, even with an, a person of color, Barack Obama, Black president in office, Black America woke up. A large, a large deal, a great deal of those who would usually be a part of the Democratic voting bloc woke up and realized that now the Democrats were taking advantage of them, and the Democrats were doing what the Republicans had done post Reconstruction, and now they're waking up. And and, and last week I spoke about uh, this new coalition in. In Missouri, uh, under the leadership of um, many, many, many great blacks, uh, elected officials, mayors, uh, state legislatures, county officials, they have taken the initiative to to vote the way they believe. And they, so they started the Fannie Lou Hamer coalition. And while they vote Democrat. They have determined and they have made up their mind that they will vote for the person who has the best interest of their community and not just the person with a D or an R behind their name. And I got to applaud them. I wish more blacks would do that um, because that is what it is all about. It is about empowering. And, you know, we played the clip, and I might play this clip again. Um, I think I, I just might play this clip again about the four the four uh, there was men in Africa, I mean, not Africa in Chicago. <laughs> well, Africa, I'm making Ebola on my brain, I guess. Um, <laughs> but uh, the persons in there were four. There were uh, um, black men in Democratic Party of Chicago who um, uh, were recruited by uh, an online. Uh, I can't think of the 
the name of the group, but they interviewed these guys, and these men made a serious accusation against the Democratic Party. Matter of fact, I'm just going to go ahead and play that. Uh, play that clip. It's about four minutes, and they talk about how um, the Democratic Party did not or has not done much to empower the black people, the black vote. But instead, they have been um, putting blacks back. It's not the Republican Party. It's them. And now that I'm looking for this, I cannot find it. <laughs> but, 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 but the reality is, the reality is that um, as black folk, we need to start thinking for ourselves more frequently than we did before. All right, I found it. Here's this clip. I'm going to play this clip, and then I'll come back and give some more commentary. All right, here we go. Black folks is in an abusive black leadership relationship. We have to send a message. This, this is the time for us to send a message. We're always talking about what the Republicans ain't done for us or what they will do to hurt us. My life has been hurt by Democrats. And we got in our mind that we always got to keep voting Democrats. You know, look and see in your community, who are the real oppressors in our community? They always talk about black-on-black -black crime. And when you hear the word black-on-black -black crime, the first thing you think of is a black man robbing you, a black man breaking in your house. And that is a black-on-black -black crime. But let's take it one step further. There's a black-on-black -black crime in down in City Hall. There's a black-on-black -black crime down in, the, in, in all the state capitals in America where black folks are voting against our interests, where black folks are voting and making us, we're getting poor and poor, and other groups are getting richer and richer. Everywhere you go, there's poverty in black areas. This lot where I stand at right now, Ida B. Wells, where public housing residents live at. Most of the people are homeless living in the street. And it's because of you, Mr. President. In Detroit. Where your leaders at? There's no white folks running Detroit cutting water on black folks in Detroit. Them black folks running that city. There ain't no white folks doing that. Them black folks going along with that. Everything's happening in our community is black leadership doing this. Our children know that if the Democrats have not done anything for us as of yet, why should they even go out and vote? What agenda's on the table is going to change their life? The only thing they're offering the black community is abortion on demand. This is what the president asking for us to vote for. Now he wants to have this conversation about minimum wage raise because he knows that this is the way to get a lot of the poor people's attention. But the hell with his minimum wage uh, uh, raise. We don't have any jobs. A minimum wage raise for what? They're not pushing a black agenda. They're not pushing uh, a family agenda. They're pushing a neoliberal agenda. Across this city and these, these major democratic cities, this is what it looks like. How can the same process happen over and over again and nobody got nothing, can't do nothing about it? Black leadership is abusing us. The Democratic Party is abusing us. It's the same way in every black community across the country. And they forced us into a life of welfare. We don't want no welfare. We want opportunities to go to work. We want opportunities to own business. They bailed out all of the major uh, banks and these big investors, but left the people starving. There are no tea parties in your city. We don't have those people. 
We have a major democratic machine, and the majority of them, they look like me. These are the people. All right, so I, I didn't want to play the whole clip because they go on a little rant. But you you hear tension and frustration from these men, and the things that they bring forth are the things that are actually talked about in, you know, they're talked about in the church. They're talked about in the barbershops. They're talked about everywhere else in the black community, but yet we still we we still vote against our own best interests. And so I'm glad this has served as a wake-up call for the Democratic Party, for the Republican Party, and for black America. We are we got to change our way of thinking. We got to change our way of uh, voting. We got to change our way of community act, act, uh, activism and engagement and make sure that what we do as a, as a voting block is empowering and not disenfranchising. We don't, you know, there are a lot of ballot. There were a lot of things on the ballots. One of the things was uh, 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 was um, minimum wage in some states, and a lot of the a lot of people uh, that got passed in a lot of states where some states are going to raise the minimum wage. Minimum wage now, not at the federal level, but at the state level, and that's a wonderful thing. And I'm glad that they're doing that because that can help families. That's what it's about. Uh, now, at the federal level, you know, it, we're, that's what we're going to have to see. Are these Republicans going to do things? Because they have some key things that they ran against. Uh, one, they ran on <laughs> a repealing Obamacare, and they have now the ammunition because of several things that happened with the failure of the launch, uh, you know, the, the, the launch of the website and how dismal that was uh, with the uh, immigration issue. That's another thing they have now to really put forth. You know, that was one of the main things that some of them campaigned on. So now they have to come forth with a bill that the, that both parties can find some some good stuff in enough to pass to help. You know, whether it's complete immigration overhaul or amnesty, uh, whatever it is, but they have to put forth something now. And with it, with regarding this Obamacare issue, you know, uh, we're seeing now, in hindsight, how horrible it was. And uh, though it had its benefits, there's some things now we're seeing that is just just not not right. So I, I'm not for repealing it, but they could surely adjust it in some way. Maybe repealing may, I don't know. I don't know. They repealed. <laughs> they repealed prohibition. So, and we see what happened since then. But hey, uh, either way, Republicans have opportunities now to show what they are really about. To present the message, the conservative message. They don't have uh, the the you know, now that they have a majority. Uh, they can see how to bring their party together with the factions that are in there: the moderates, uh, the center rights the uh the more liberal republicans and of course those tea partiers those who are the uh what they some would consider extreme right but even in the midst of this we have to celebrate that republicans are taking serious their their um their mantra of change and, and engagement and embracing all minorities because yesterday proved historical in more than one way two ways uh, Republican Senator Tim Scott got reelected, and this is the first time 
in history that in in since reconstruction that that a black has been elected by the majority to the senate um uh there are two blacks now who are in the senate Cory Booker of New Jersey and Tim Scott uh Booker the Democrat Scott the Republican um both at first were in special elections um um and of course both have they sh- they share similarities uh, they differ on certain things but they share similarities now um and Scott proved to be electable across his state and he has done a wonderful job since he's been in in the congress in the senate and now he's get to prove what he can do for a full six a full senate term and congratulations to miss uh Mia Love of Utah who was elected by Republicans to represent her congressional district. And she is the first female Republican, black female Republican elected in a, in a, wherever. And she's not the first black, uh, you know, woman elect challenge. As always, those who are more conservative, uh, when it comes down to the black caucus, Will they caucus with the Black Caucus? Because the Black Caucus has largely and overwhelmingly fallen lockstep with the Democratic platform, even when they did not agree with the Democratic platform. They still feel lockstep. So maybe this will create uh, something that will empower the Black Caucus. They can be a powerful voice if they use themselves, if if they do what they have been elected to do, if they say what they have been elected to say and represent what they have been elected to represent outside of the Democratic Party, if they stand by their principles, they could be a power. Uh, the entire bloating uh, black uh, national caucus, black caucus, can be powerful as a legislative force and can demand change from both parties. And that's what I'm. That's what I'm hoping for. I'm hoping that this election cycle will be powerful enough, will prove powerful enough to create the change envisioned by President Obama and those who elected him as president uh, seven, six years ago. Six or seven years ago. I, I lost track. What, six years ago? Yeah. There's still change, and there's still possibility for change. Now, here's the other thing. President Obama gets the opportunity to prove his leadership, to prove that he is not a partisan president. So far, most of what he's done has been partisan. You can argue against it. And I know some black folk are just going to be mad at me for saying it. But the reality is he has presented an extreme liberal agenda from abortion to same-sex marriage to other issues that uh, have – I'm just talking about domestic issues, financial, you know, uh, economic issues. He has been on that side. Some of his policies have – hurt the black you know black community but others have strengthened the black community and his efforts to raise the minimum wage needs to be applauded a lot of the things that he has uh we have to applaud what has been going on in his administration you have to you have to applaud jobs uh and the economy all of those things have started to come around and that's what matters it's not so much as policies matter it's about 
the economic state of the country, the fiscal state of the country. Yes, we are still trillions of dollars in debt, but we're going to be trillions of dollars in debt once he's out of office. That's not going to change anytime soon. You know, the spending has been going on for a while, and, you know, he hasn't spent as much as George W. Bush did on domestic agendas. So, you know, hey, spending, president spend. One of the, <laughs> think about Thomas Jefferson. Thomas Jefferson was would be considered a conservative in our day, but yet when he became president, he expanded government more than any president before him. He expanded the idea of what country did, and, and many other presidents followed in his footsteps. Even um, even Abraham Lincoln, we love him as a president. We we hallow him as a president, but he did more to extend the government power, the powers of government, than uh, any other president before him. So, you, you know, you can't blame President Obama for a lot. And there's something he can do. And, you know, some will be questioning his competence as a leader. But, you know, hey, it is what it is. White folk will do that. Black folk will do that. <laughs> but he has proven to stand the test of time as far as a leader is concerned. Now, some of y'all probably wondering, well, I'm doing double talk. No, I'm not doing double talk. I'm praising the man for the job he's done. And I'm calling out a party on things that they have not done or are doing. That's what you should do. But either way. These midterm elections have proven to be uh, a game changer. Now, how they turn out is going to be on them. We have elected these people to serve us, the people, we the people. Now, they cannot have any excuse. The Republicans have no excuse now for gridlock. They have no excuse for a government shutdown. They have absolutely no excuse. They have to do what they said they were going to do, carry out the platform of the party, stick to the principles of the party, and they will be successful. Now, if they stray and, you know, just get involved in battles regarding rhetoric, you know what to do. Vote them out. <laughs> Send the same message that we sent to the Democrats this this election cycle. And this is going to be interesting in 2016 because uh, – and I, I say this, I'm going to close out this segment. We'll get into the, the big segment. Uh, what's going to be interesting is because as 2016 comes around, right now there are no viable candidates in each party for president. You know, they're tossing out names in the Republican side like Rick Perry, Christy, uh, Chris Christie, and Ted Cruz, um, uh, Rand Paul, all those guys. And then on the on the Democratic side, all you hear is Hillary Clinton or what's the other lady, Wasserman or something like that. I can't think. Uh, Warren, Elizabeth Warren, made possible. Uh, and that's that's it. Uh, there are no people of color that they are tossing out right now. Oh, and yeah, of course, the Republicans are trying to throw in a person of color and the person, uh, Dr. Ben Ben Carson. And while I marry him, I don't want him to be a token, token Negro. And right now, he's a token Negro. I said it. I stand by it. And he doesn't need to be a token Negro. But anyway, so this is going to be interesting. Pray for those who were uh, elected 
on every level of government. I commend and applaud those who elected here in the state, uh, returning Senator Thad Cochran and those who were elected uh, as state representatives, uh, as uh, congresspersons, Benny Thompson here, uh, and the others across the congressional district uh, and the uh, who will make up the uh, congressional caucus for the state of Mississippi. We commend those who ran, and thank you for your service in advance. Now do what you're supposed to do. Um, and I mentioned Benny Thompson because he represents the district that I live in. He uh, <laughs> represents the the black folk. <laughs> and so, um, but anyway, I digress. Um, yeah, we're going to take a break. Uh, and... As we get ready to move into this, uh, the next segment, as we talk about assisted death, assisted suicide is really critical, Um, really interesting topic. I really want to hear your thoughts on that, and we're going to try to see if we can get that chat room up again. Um, And it's still doing the same thing. But for right now, we're going to take this quick break, and and when we get back from the break, we will be discussing – we will be discussing – uh, the church assisted suicide. Does an individual have the right to die with dignity? That's what we're going to be asking the question, and that's what we want to hear. The reply responds if you want to three four seven two three seven four three four seven two three seven five two three zero. That's the number to call. We'll be right back after this. We make you smarter about insurance because what you don't know can hurt you. What if you didn't know that posting your travel plans online may attract burglars? Off to Hawaii. What if you didn't know that as the price of gold rises, so should the coverage on your jewelry? Ah. What if you didn't know that kitty litter can help you out of a slippery situation? The more you know, the better you can plan for what's ahead. Talk to farmers and get smarter about your insurance. We are farmers. Bum, da, bum, 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 bum. With the Name Your Price tool, you tell us what you want to pay, and we give you a range of coverages to choose from. Who is she? That's Flowbot. She's this new robot we're trying out, mostly for, like, small stuff. Wow. Look at her go. She's pretty good. Pretty good. Hey, Flowbot. Great job. Oops. Uh-oh, Flowbot is broken. The Name Your Price tool, only from Progressive. Call or click today. I've been a victim of identity theft on more than one occasion, and I gotta tell you, it's never been a pleasant experience trying to clean up the mess afterwards. That's why I decided to find a safe and secure way of protecting my identity and my good name through LifeLock. LifeLock is more than just a credit monitoring service. It provides full identity protection and monitoring and scanning for any threats to your identity so it can also quickly respond to it. Now, here's the other good thing I really love about LifeLock, is that it offers a guarantee of up to $1 million should you ever become a victim of identity death while using LifeLock. LifeLock is not an expensive thing. Plans start as low as $10 a month. I I tell you, you ought to go there and check them out. Visit their website, www.lifelock.com, or call 1-800-607-7205 and enroll today, and I guarantee you will start to feel safer the minute you get it. 
LifeLock. You'll love it. You've heard the saying, clothes make the man. Used to be that way with suits. Wear one and you'd start to think like one. Wall Street before Main Street. Profit before people. Well, that's changing. I mean, look around. You see a lot more guys wearing suits. They're not thinking like suits. What it comes down to is this. Today, you don't have to be one to wear one. You're going to like the way you look. I guarantee it. At the University of Arkansas at Pine Bluff, I'm part of a place where I'm always challenged to do more. I am a part of a place where I can be involved. I'm a part of a place where everything is possible. I'm part of a place where champions are made. At the University of Arkansas at Pine Bluff, you can get an affordable education with competitive degree offerings, diverse student population, and stellar faculty. Become part of a place where you can get everything you need to succeed. Become a part of the pride at the University of Arkansas at Pine Bluff. You're listening to Zero Today with Pastor Lorenzo Neal. I'm your humble host, Pastor Lorenzo Neal, and I'm excited because, let me put this plug in, it is homecoming time at the University of Arkansas at Pine Bluff. I wish I was there celebrating homecoming with the Golden Tigers, Golden Lions of UAPB. How in the world did I say Tigers with their Lions? Oh, my. <laughs> that is my alma mater, and I'm excited. Well, not like they're having a winning season, but. Either way, it's still homecoming. Go there and tailgate, hang out with Fred and Soul Roars and just eat. Man, you know, when I was a kid, they have the best turkey legs at those games. And when I was in college, I was in the marching band, and we would try our best to get a turkey leg. Man, because those turkey legs were off the chain. They still are. And I went last year, and I got me a turkey leg. And that's what I'm missing. I'm not going to be able to get me a turkey leg for homecoming. This year. Oh, maybe next year. <laughs> yeah, you know, think about it. You know, those of you, you know, college, black, HBCU homecomings are the best that there is. There's nothing like an HBCU homecoming. It doesn't matter where you go. It doesn't matter if it's Jackson State, if it's Alcorn State. It doesn't matter if it's FAMU, Florida AME, uh, Florida AME. <laughs> FAMU, Florida A and M. <laughs> See, it's just A M E. I tell you, you, just can't get away from it. It's in everything. No, but there's nothing like it. The marching bands, the step shows, the uh, pep rallies, and I love the concerts. Uh, you know, they get some of the big names to come out. When I was in college, man, i never forget, we got to perform with Zap. We got to perform with some of the best 
names that you could think of on our field. And I just loved that vibe, man. I just loved it. I hated that it took forever doing homecoming. And then there's the pageant, you know, there's the homecoming, uh, cotillion, and all those things. I, I loved all that stuff. I got to perform in it. But, hey, homecoming, if it's your college homecoming, give it a shout-out. If it's not, you didn't go to college, but you want to front like you went to some college, particular HBCU, hey, give them a shout-out. I gave mine a shout-out, and they're going to be calling me now asking for money. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> <sighs> the joy of being a college-educated person. Anyway, so this is our last segment of the day. Uh, and this show, this segment, we're going to be talking about uh, the assisted suicide and the church. And the reason I, I wanted to discuss this is because just recently uh, you had a 29-year-old 20, young lady um by the name of um Brittany Maynard. Brittany Maynard was she she was a beautiful young lady, but earlier this year, I think it was around New Year, she was diagnosed with an aggressive malignant brain tumor. And the doctors gave her six months to live. So she and her new husband decided to move to Oregon from where they lived. And I, I, I don't know where they were, but they moved to Oregon because Oregon has um, loose laws regarding um, assisted death. I've, um, um, they uh, state right to like they have the right to die laws in Oregon. So she moved there and she posted some YouTube videos. In the latter part, in October, somewhere in October, she, she posted YouTube videos stating her intention to die on a specific date. And uh, she received an outpouring of love and concern, as well as an outpouring of hate and, you know, all that other stuff. And she then produced another video where she decided to, um, you know, she said, well... I delay. I delay my suicide uh, pending whatever. But unfortunately, she decided to carry out her suicide. And this past weekend, she um, was assisted in her death by a physician friend of hers. Now, what what brought this, what makes this interesting, is the fact that she used social media as a means of promoting. Uh, her her view of why she should die, um, and it raised another issue regarding life. And not only do we have this uh, this uh, this debate about when does life begin regarding abortion and um, personhood, and I'm 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 a very much pro choice pro life. I'm pro-life. Uh, however, I do understand that it is a woman's choice, and there are circumstances that dictate uh, instances of unnecessary abortion. And I, I don't say that lightly. There, there, there are incidents, uh, but it is a woman's right to choose. And I say that I don't say that lightly. It's her body. 
But at the same time, I believe that we should do all we can to empower women to make better choice, to make the choice to live when it comes to uh, for their, their children, their babies. That's just me. Um, the flip side of that is, do we have a right to determine when we die? Um, do we have the right to say that I want to die on a certain day or at a certain time? Regarding this, I, I think when it comes down to a, a person who is terminally ill, it is up to them to do so. Me personally, I have uh, a DNR order for me. Should something happen to me in the case that I am in a vegetative state, and in that in that state of vet, if I'm in a vegetative state and my brain ceases to function and my heart ceases to function. I have a DNR. Do not resuscitate. Yeah, I, you know, I'm not. I'm not ashamed of that. That's just one way of me and being empowered. Now, and I do my best to try to articulate that to my family. Should I get married in the time soon? I have children, or you know, my brothers, or those who love me. If it comes to that that point, that they understand, this is my request. You know, so. It ain't, I've done more than enough <laughs> in my short amount of time. If I, if it should come to an end now, <laughs> I have done more than enough to be complete content with my impact in, in life. So I'll be ready to go home. Uh, and I won't be mad about it. Now, if, if the preventable go right ahead, you know, to do as much as they can to sustain me. Now, in her case... Because she was terminally ill, the doctors had given her six months. And first time I read this, I'm like, you know, that's the that's the stereotypical thing. You hear that? I only have six months to live, so I would do my bucket list. But her bucket list was surmised in determining when and how she would uh, she would leave and transition. So you got to say that she was empowered. Now, in doing my research on this topic. Because I was, you know, the the closest thing that I had uh, was aware of about um, sister suicide, of course, was Doctor Death, Doctor Kevorkian, and and um, what the media portrayed about him regarding a sister suicide, and you know his death machine and all of that. That's about as far as I knew about this issue. But I have come to discover a lot, lot, lot more. Uh, across the religious spectrum, uh, it, across the religious spectrum, you will find that just about every Christian group uh, are opponents to assisted, physician-assisted suicide, euthanasia altogether. All the most staunch and most vocal of those groups, of course, is the Roman Catholic Church. But across the board... Um, in Protestant, you know, in Protestant, um, you have um, you have most Protestant churches agreeing with the Catholic Church that assisted suicide is a sin and perhaps not the best way to do it because we are not in control of our life. Now. I'm going to turn to Scripture in a second to kind of support 
um, some of this stuff that I'm, I'm putting out there or going to put out. But uh, his overall stance from the Seventh-day Adventist Church to the Presbyterian Church to uh, to um, the Evangelical Lutheran Church to the United Methodist Church and, of course, uh, some Pentecostal assemblies, some Pentecostal faiths that they basically share the same sentiment and uh, view. Uh, there are some theological disagreements, but um, essentially it's all the same. There is a there is a, a stance against active use of Asia as being morally wrong and unacceptable. Uh, what makes it interesting is that Islam and Hinduism and Buddhism also share similarities when it comes to Christian ideologues, uh, ideals about uh, assisted suicide, euthanasia. For example, um, Buddhism. Buddhism is a, you know, Buddhism teaches how to embrace suffering as a means of being empowered. And and um, Damien Cowan, who is a emeritus professor at a Buddhism, a Buddhist studies at Goldsmiths College in uh at the University of London uh states and he's he's basically speaking generally regarding uh those who practice Buddhism now. There are several branches of Buddhism but overall general the uh the Buddhist philosophy is that um suicide assisted suicide and euthanasia is morally wrong because you're destroying human life um, and that even if the intention is to end suffering, it is still wrong because Buddhists believe and uh, generally believe that they have they're supposed to have a great respect for life, and suffering is is essential as an experience, and that is it is not to be just is not to be taken away. That uh, life needs to be preserved at all costs. And that one does not need to go to extraordinary lengths uh, to preserve um, a person who is dying. So, if a person, from Buddhist perspective, a person that's terminally ill uh, shouldn't be denied basic care. Basic care. Uh, they shouldn't be just shouldn't be shunned. But at the same time, they shouldn't have to feel burdensome regarding their situation. And compassion needs to be shown to them, or sympathy needs to be shown to them so that they can be empowered until their time of transition. And I must say I completely agree with that. I think that's a powerful thing, very, very powerful thing. Now, Islam is even more interesting because Islam, uh, Islam again, agrees with the opposition about it. But they Muslims believe that because life is sacred and comes from God, uh, it's a sin to take life, plain and simple. And of course, we get that also from the Judeo-Christian uh, perspective, and Jews share the same view as as Christians. But uh, it, it teaches that uh, uh, Islam teaches this: that God alone has the uh, sovereignty. 
to decide how long someone would live and when they would die. Okay? Um, and it's also similar to Buddhism in that it it says, it, it, it promotes the idea that suffering, in any form of suffering, be it sickness, be it distress, all kinds of, you know, whatever it may be, temporal uh, or spiritual suffering, is to be used by the person to as a, as a way of both developing one's faith and empowering one's self for the eternal so that's a powerful thing now hinduism also shares something but hinduism is is kind of it's weird you know because there's no one specific belief system in, in in hinduism you know it's as it's broad as you can get but they uh i, I want to say that the idea of karma is what really is is what really drives the hinduism opposition their idea that karma you know it comes back to you you know if you do bad bad comes back to you kind of stuff you you understand and while there's some there's some hints of that in buddhism is not as strong as it is in the Hindu uh, perspective of assisted suicide. And from that perspective, you know, the idea that you just don't want to bring any more suffering on you than you have to. If you should, if, if you are reincarnated, if you should die and you take your life, you should die and you're reincarnated, you may bring greater affliction and greater suffering on you because of that act. So, you know... <laughs> In that sense, it's crazy, but at the same time, they they believe that there 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 are some in Hinduism who believe that you know there are moments of justification for hastening your death. If you want to end your life, there um, if you have reached a stage in your life where you are no longer able to worship properly, then you are justified in taking it. Uh, whatever it may be, it might be infirmity, it might be illness, uh, that you are justified in asking your doctor to uh, to end your life. Now, I, I, I don't know about that one, but that's just some perspectives from the various religious, um, and there are many others, you know, um, I, I didn't see anything regarding those who are non-believers, atheists, or uh, agnostics regarding this uh, issue. But uh, um, but anyway, as you can see, across the board, there's a general opposition. Now, there are some liberal uh, Christian sects uh, that promote this, and one of those, and two of those, the Universalist Church, um, United Church of Christ, um, those two groups are largely proponents, uh, you know, they believe the right to life and the right to death, um, the right to choose, and there's some there's some issues in that, but that's where it is. And for it, but what's really interesting is when I read this, I, I came across an article by the Pew Research Group, and if you're not familiar with the Pew Research Group, you ought to you should go check them out. Pew Forum. Pewform.com, you'll find a lot of interesting uh, research facts and statistics regarding the church. Uh, you know, it, it's really interesting. And you can just go there. It gives you religion, politics, 
uh, all of that, you define uh, statistics and those are a lot of stuff regarding that. And that's P Research Forum, P Research at pforum.org. Go there and check it out. You can find statistics. But anyway, and this comes from a, a report uh, from 2000, this time last year in 2013. Uh, as a, when polled, the National Baptist Convention, which is a black uh the large the the black body of Baptists. Uh they have no particular view on they have no particular view on end of life issues because it never comes up. Matter of fact, let me read this to you real quick. The National Baptist Convention, the largest largest historically black Protestant denomination in the United States does not have a specific teaching on physician assisted suicide or euthanasia. This isn't an issue that we consider, says Charles Brown, professor of Christian ethics at Payne Seminary, which is an AME school uh, in Weberforce, Ohio. However, he says broader church teachings are in opposition to practices such as suicide and euthanasia because they prematurely end life. Black churches in general, there is no there is this notion that the length of one's life is the providence of God, and you let it take its course, he says. And that is that is what he said. But at the same time, he said there's no requirement that patients near the end of their life uh, should continue treatment to extend their life longer if they so choose. People in the congregation have made that choice to forego treatment, and he says that he didn't offer any biblical warrants against it. And, because he was a pastor at that time. So, where where does the scripture stands on this? Uh, and I turn to one of my favorite, oh, one one of my favorite, but one of my more quoted scriptures that I read at funerals. Uh, if I'm reading from the Old Testament, I like to read this particular book, uh, this particular Psalm, two Psalms actually, Psalm number ninety and Psalm number ninety one. Um. In Psalm number 90, it says this, verse 1, you have, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were born, or you gave birth to the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You turn man back into dust and say, return, O children, for men. For a thousand years in your sight are like yesterday passes by. Or as a watch in the night, you have swept them away like a flood. In the morning, they are like grass which sprouts anew. In the morning, it flourishes and sprouts anew. Toward evening, it fades and withers away. Uh, in verse verse um, verse 10, in that same uh, chapter of Psalm, that same number of Psalms says this. As for the days of our life, they contain 70 years, or it says four score and ten in the King James Version. Uh, and if by length, uh, by strength, uh, four score or eighty years, let their pride, yet their pride is but labor and sorrows. For soon it is gone, and we fly away. Verse twelve. So teach us to number our days, that we may present to you a heart of wisdom. Teach us to number our days. And you'll hear that in black, you know, black funerals. You'll hear. Some preachers preaching that you hear that probably is one of the texts read from the Old Testament um, because the reverence of their life, the reverence of life from our understanding comes from God and therefore should be ended by God. And we like to quote also the wonderful scripture in Job 
said, The Lord giveth, and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. So, in essence, from a black perspective, we overall are generally opposed to assisted suicide. The problem is we have not been taught how to die with dignity. I'm talking about those who age, those who have met the the four score and ten or eight or the the three score and ten or the four score. Those who have gotten that point and you know going on, they don't want you know. A lot of times we just keep them hanging on when they're ready to go home. I had a member one time told her mother, uh, told her daughter, uh, daughter, I'm ready to go home. Let me go home. And the daughter didn't want to let her go, so kept putting on treatments and kept doing all these things and it irritated the mother to the point she's like look i am ready to go home let me go home and the daughter still reluctantly didn't want her mama to go mother was like i'm ready to go i have gotten all my business all my affairs in order i am ready to go and eventually it got to the point where she was able to she was able to realize that uh, that the mother was stern, stubborn, and ready to go. And when the moment when she said, "Okay, mama, you can go home," mama took her last breath. Now that sounds to me like dying with dignity, as well as determining when she was ready to go. And so that's a, that's a powerful statement. You know, when do we determine we're ready to go? I, I believe there's a point where we can say when we when it is well with our soul and we have done all we can do on this side and we have realized that we've come to the end of the journey. Just as Paul said, I have fought a good fight and now I'm ready to rest. Uh, I have done all that I have done. And now it's time for me to go. Is not that the same as empowering now? That's not that is not physician assisted, but that's God assisted. That's God empowered. That's 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 the that's the person saying, God, I can come home to you now. I'm ready to go to the one who made me, the one who gave me breath, the one who who breathed into me the breath of life. I am ready to return. Now that's empowering. A lot of black families are now understanding that as they turn to uh, things such as hospice care. And I really love hospice. Those people come into the homes or to the hospitals or or nursing home, whatever, and they help families prepare for their loved one's transition. And as a pastor and as a chaplain, hospital chaplain, I've been privileged to be at the side of a lot of those who have transitioned, and I've watched them as their eyes close and they take their last breath. I've seen so many smiles because they know that they are comforted, both for those who, you know, the ones, the family, and those who are making, who are being transitioned. I've seen how their eyes look. I've seen how peaceful they look when they know that their time has come. I'm not talking about the one, and, and I've witnessed even one 
uh, one person in particular who was had had been um, transitioned and it was a violent transition. Uh, you know, it was a violent, violent act that that caused them to die. But before they died, they took the, before they took their last breath, they had a smile. They had they had peace. Uh, it confused the doctors, but it, because the doctors were, you know, wasn't expecting that kind of peace from a traumatic experience like that. But they had peace and they were ready to transition. So, so I believe that we again, I'm all about empowering. I'm all about empowering people, and and while I do see what Brittany Maynard did as empowering for herself, I do understand the concern. You know, you don't want to set your own date. We should never try to be God in that sense. But then I think about Terry uh, Schiavo, and if you remember the story, uh, Terry Schiavo. Terry Schiavo had an incident with that caused her to be in a comatose state for uh, over a decade. And her husband uh, had gotten to the point where he was like, look, she's not coming back. She's not responding. She's just in a vegetative state. And it's tormenting me to see her like this, so I'm going to take her off life support. And Terry's parents intervened. They didn't want to see their daughter off life support. Uh, And while the husband was saying, look, it's going to be in her best interest and it's in my best fin- family's best interest. The parents um, put in an injunction. They sued. They they fought, and it went over for a decade, over a decade. They kept her alive until finally, uh, after politicians, it, it, this thing got so, to, it got so much attention. Even it got to the attention of President George W. Bush and Republicans and in Congress, and they filed injunctions, they passed Terry's law, and all kinds of things. And yet, when it came down to it, you know, they were trying to say that um, taking away her feeding tube would be torture, and that's what one side was saying, and that she would die torturous, like you know. And but the other one say uh, taking it off would be compassion and showing compassion because that's what her husband wanted. And this went on for decades to finally about 2004, 2005, somewhere in there, they finally took her off her feeding tube. And eventually, some days later, she passed away. Um, And the autopsy was done and showed that while there was, you know, there was some things that uh, she died peacefully and it wasn't as tormenting as some had said. So, but that brought that brought it to a national attention, and the church didn't know how to deal with it. There were evangelicals who were fighting to keep life, and and I presented this argument uh, when I was in the discussion before that there evangel evangelicals were presenting the argument that life is life, and we have no authority to take it, whether it be a baby or whether it be our own. Only God has that authority. And then there are those who say, well, yes, we don't have the authority to take a life of a child. But we should have an authority if we are adults. We should have the right if we are adults and we have lived our life and we are terminally ill. We should have the the authority, uh, the right to be able to do our own self. And that was a, that will be a question that will go on for some time. My my particular stance is this: as a pastor, uh, I would never advise anyone 
to take their own life. I believe that there are instances that um, if we're able to endure, we will find uh, that suffering will bring about the eternal things that we need. Suffering will develop in us things that we need. Um, now, that may sound hard and may sound distant and cold, but who are we to say uh, what suffering cannot produce? And I, I've known cases where persons have been terminally ill and God has healed them completely. I know a place of persons who have been terminally ill and in one particular case were put in hospice and were told they were were told they only had twenty four hours to live. Family was prepared and they end up living for months and years. So that is I, I, I believe that it's it's by God and by the individual. The strength of the individual and the faith of the individual and if we believe the will of God that's what we should take in consideration. You know, I have a lot of persons who are in my church who are elderly, and there were those I, uh, since I've been here at this church that have passed away who, although they had received their 80 years, 70 years, uh, they had gotten to the point where they were no longer willing to fight. You know, no longer willing. They didn't want to to take the medicine. They didn't want it, you know, and these, you know, they go to the nursing homes and they're refusing because they're ready to go. They just don't want to deal with it anymore. And old folk can be stubborn like that. I'd probably be one of those old stubborn folk. <laughs> but the reality is that they had gotten right with God and to the point where they felt that God would be okay if they decided to come home when they were ready to come home. Now, you can take that as you want to, but it is what it is. All right. I've gone on this rant, and I hope that you've enjoyed the show. I've got to get out of here, um, and we'll be preparing for next week. But i, I got to tell you, keep up the discussion. Keep this going because, again, it's about empowering. Some people have no idea about this, and, and we need to let people know that when their loved ones are in the situations where they are placed, where they have to decide whether to take the life or not, what are their options? What can they do? There's a lot that they can do. They can be empowered. And they can uh, seek the Lord because they're that person who may be terminally ill and ready to go home. And they need to be ready to let them go. Sometimes that's all it takes, just being ready to let them go. Well, I've come to the end of my journey for this week. I'm glad that you joined us. Again, you can catch any broadcast, archive broadcast. Simply go back uh, as far as four years ago. You can go back to uh, Zero Today, uh, blogtalkradio.com slash Zero Today, catch up in there. Uh, you can download any episode. Uh, they're available on iTunes. Uh, so you can get that, all of that, whatever you need, you can get it. Again, we want you to follow. Go to the show, subscribe. Go to the Facebook page, Zero Network, like that. We hear, you know, you send me an email. What are some thoughts and things and topics that you think we should talk about? Do you know any interesting guests who could be on the show? I'd love to have We'd love to hear from you. But until then, this is Pastor Lorenzo O'Neill. I'm heading out, and I want you to have a wonderful Wednesday. The Lord be with you. God bless you. Take care. And we are out.